for the rest of us, if you would take out your Bible, if you brought one, um, and open to Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, you can probably find one in the seats in front of you. And Luke chapter 5 is on page 728 in the Bibles um, in the seats. Luke chapter 5, 12 to 16. I was a dirty person, not like you. You are clean, you are pure, you're whole, you're smooth. But I was dirty, I was unsound, I was invaded with blemishes and spots and sores. I was covered all over with uncleanness. I was unclean and so I had to stay away. Away from God, away from life, away from you. And so I stood on the, the outside and I, I was longing and I was, I was looking in, but I was cut off from love with, with nowhere to belong, uh, longing for acceptance. But I was forbidden to come near. It was because I had sinned. That's why I was dirty, dirty all over. At least that's what everyone says. The, the rabbis said I was the, the walking dead. They, they said I was as good as dead. I had to wear my clothes dirty and, and torn, my, my hair uncombed, and, and to cover my face and to cry out everywhere I went, unclean, unclean, so that others would know to stay away from me. I, I was dirty, that's who I was. I couldn't come close, couldn't feel a human touch. I was separated, I was on the outside, I was untouchable. I couldn't be embraced, and I was invisible, like I wasn't even there, like I didn't matter. Life went on without me, because I was nobody. I was the living damned. Then I saw him, Jesus, the, the miracle worker. And I know I should have stayed away, but something drew me to him instead, a, a slender sliver of hope, I guess. And I found myself running toward him as close as I dared, and then I threw myself down before him. In desperation, in humble respect, I knew what I deserved, to be, to be cursed, to be told to get lost, to be reminded who I was, unclean, a, a nobody, and untouchable. But I cried out, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then it was as if time stood still. My face to the ground, I, I listened. Listened for what he would say. What, what would it be? Would it be more life or would it be more intolerable death? My fate was in his hands. I listened and I heard nothing. But then I felt something. I felt something I had not felt in a long, long time. I felt someone, a human hand, touching me, touching me, reassuring me, connecting with me, inviting me, welcoming me, embracing me. Then his voice, I am willing, be clean. And immediately, 
I was clean. I was clean. He said to me, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Of course, to the priest to verify that I was clean. Because when the priest pronounced me clean, I would be alive again. I would be a person who could be seen, who could belong, who could live. I could have a family. I could go to worship, could draw close to God. I could work. I could participate. I could live. And that's the story we read in today's passage. The story of a leper who was touched by Jesus and cleansed by Jesus. So let's think about this story. Think with me, for starters, of what the grossest thing is that you can imagine. That thing that if you touched it or if it even showed up in your home, you would be totally disgusted. Maybe big, nasty cockroaches crawling across your kitchen counter. Maybe uh, a rat in your basement. Maybe a dead animal by the side of the road in the summer heat that's bloated and stinking and covered with maggots. Maybe a gas station restroom that hasn't been cleaned in months. <laughs> Did you ever touch something completely disgusting by mistake? You know, you, you thought it was one thing, and then how did you feel when you discovered what it really was? We, we all naturally recoil. We get grossed out at those kind of thoughts, right? And yet some of what grosses us out depends on our culture. You know, in some cultures, they eat rats and grubs and probably roaches too. Uh, other cultures find foods that we enjoy here in the West, like peanut butter and cheese. They find those foods completely disgusting. Uh, then, if, you know, of course, in some cultures, like maybe fourth grade boy culture, they think picking your nose and eating it is just delightful, right? <laughs> so cultures determine a lot about what's disgusting. And the culture Jesus lived in had a strong sense of what was gross and disgusting and what was pleasant and kosher. And in Jesus' culture, the leper that we read about in today's story was totally disgusting and gross. Just like we don't want dead, rotting animals in our house or even in our yard, people back then didn't want lepers anywhere near them. Not in their houses, not in their towns. Why? Well, as far as they were concerned, lepers were gross and disgusting. You just had to look at them. They were all infected and diseased and, and invaded and unwhole. And if you got near them, you might catch it too. They didn't have modern medicine back then. They didn't have strong steroid creams and antibiotics and other treatments. And so in their culture and in Old Testament religion, if your skin started to get all weird or septic, they, they looked at you as, as like you were a wall or a cloth that got mildew or a slice of bread that got mold all over it. It was gross. It was disgusting. It was unhealthy. It was unclean. And so, and you might spread it to others, and so they cut you off completely. And I can imagine that Jesus, growing up in, in a culture like this, was tempted to recoil at the sight of, of this one with leprosy all over him. 
Just like Jesus probably recoiled at the sight of a dead, stinking, maggot-infested animal. And yet, Jesus had something else going inside of him, going on inside of him as well. Because behind the uncleanness and the the disgustingness of, of that leper, perhaps the smell as well, and even the risk of getting it yourself, Jesus saw a human being. And Jesus felt compassion. Enough compassion that Jesus actually stepped forward, reached out, and touched that disgusting, putrid, maybe even contagious leper. And in Old Testament religion, the moment that Jesus touched the leper, Jesus became unclean too. Jesus became dirty and disgusting himself. Only wonder of wonders, when Jesus touched the unclean leper, instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the leper he touched became clean. That's some kind of compassion. And that's some kind of power. I I mean, I can't think of too many things with that kind of power. When I touch something dirty, I become dirty. So do my clothes. In fact, just the other day, I reached out um, a window to, to knock down some icicles, and the, um, the windowsill was, was dirty. A- and guess what? When my elbow rested on that damp, dusty sill, my sleeve didn't leave a clean spot on the sill. <laughs> no, rather, the sill left a dirty spot on my sleeve, right? <laughs> e- even soapy water, when it touches something um, unclean, it may clean that thing, but the water becomes dirty in the process, right? Usually that which is dirty and unclean has the greater power to infect and to stain what's clean. I I had this experience when I lived in Washington, D.C. Have you heard of Potomac fever? Corruption and, and greed for power and using people for gain. They're so all-pervasive in the capital, and, and they're, so, um, they're so catching, they're so contagious to people who move to the capital that people say you must get it just from drinking the water. You get Potomac fever. And that was my experience in Washington. The longer that I lived there and, and worked there, the more that I saw those gross qualities showing up in my own heart and in my own life. I went to Washington hoping, among other things, to bring some good to it, to be a good influence. And I think in a small way, I did bring something positive, something clean. But at the same time, Washington made me dirty, my heart, my character. And that's what usually happens. Because it takes serious power to to be able to touch what is dirty and and to make that thing clean without becoming unclean yourself. Not much has that power. Maybe bleach can clean without becoming dirty. I'm I'm not totally sure. It does a pretty good job. Um, Certainly sunlight has the power to clean things in this way without being dirty itself. Because sunlight has some serious power, doesn't it? And in this story, we learn that Jesus has that kind of power, too. That power to touch and to not become unclean. The power to touch and to cleanse the one that he touches. 
And in our story this morning, we learn that Jesus is compassionately willing to touch those who are unclean with that power. And this story is here for us to read because Jesus' cleansing this leper isn't an isolated event. No, Jesus is still willing. Jesus is always willing to touch the unclean so that they can become clean. Jesus is, is always willing to bring back those who are far off, who are separated like that leper was because of his uncleanness, to clean them and to bring them close. And so maybe this story that we read this morning is your story, um, or it can be your story, just like it has been my story. Because like the leper in the story, I used to be unclean. There, there was a time when I knew I wasn't worthy to come close to God or to be in God's presence. Um, I was at a conference once, and um, it was at a really swanky hotel conference center with plush carpets and uh, crystal chandeliers and uh, linen tablecloths. And the presenter in the workshop that I was attending um, was dressed in a neatly pressed pair of dark slacks, and he had a smart, crisp white shirt on. But right in the middle of his shirt, there was a big, ugly blotch of black ink. Evidently, he, I guess, put a pen in his shirt pocket earlier in the day without the cap on. And, and I don't know if he realized it or not. <laughs> but he, as he stood there, up in front of us all, in this very sophisticated, swanky setting, with a spotlight on him, he had this big black spot glaring on his nice white shirt. And I felt embarrassed for him. I felt ashamed for him. I felt his humiliation. Like, oh man, if that had been me, I would want to crawl under a rock and hide. And that's how I used to be in God's presence. Why? Well, because I knew that when you go into the presence of a very important person, whether it be the president in the Oval Office or a VIP at a black tie dinner or the, the queen at Buckingham Palace or whatever, you dress appropriately and respectfully. You, you wear a suit, you wear your best dress, you rent a tux, you make sure you're all ironed and delinted and clean. And it's the same with coming before God. Not primarily in terms of the physical clothes we wear, but even more importantly, in terms of the moral and the spiritual clothes that we're clothed in. And my problem was that I didn't have a moral or a spiritual outfit that was uh, fitting to appear in God's presence. And you can't rent that kind of thing. Now, I know modern psychology would have just written me off as neurotic, having an overdeveloped sense of guilt. And, and that's fine if we live in a world with no right and no wrong, um, with no God or, or with only a big, jolly Santa Claus God who just indulgently dotes on all of his human children and says, there, there, boys will be boys. Um, but not only do none of the great religions believe in that kind of God, certainly Christianity does not, but none of us want to live in a world overseen by that kind of a God. I, I mean, we'd kind of like God to treat us indulgently to treat maybe our loved ones that way, but we sure hope God doesn't run the whole world that way. 
I mean, think of all the monsters this world has seen who, who have murdered millions, who have tortured and dismembered those who disagree with them. Think of those who have preyed sexually on, on children, emotionally damaging them. Think of all the nice church people who, who have come to church and, and prayed pious prayers in public, and then they've gone home and they've abused their spouses or their children. Do you really want God to just pat them all on this head and say, oh, they're not so bad? No. But we can't have it both ways. Either God has a moral sense, either God stands for something that's true and right and, and just and, and beautiful, or, or God doesn't care. Well, if God does have a moral sense, then it's not up to us to tell God how to call the balls and strikes or, or what scale to grade on. If God is moral, we have to let God define morality. And we have to learn from God. And that's what I had done when I felt dirty in God's presence. Because I'd read God's standards in the Bible, um, some of which, by the way, have a lot in common with the standards of, um, that are put forward by other religions and even other great philosophers. Um, sure, the Bible has plenty of, of uniquenesses, but it's no big surprise to the world that some things are right and some things are wrong. I except today, we, we've allowed so many things to be all right, and, and so many of um, the standards that most of the world has understood from the past seem prudish to us today. We think just about anything goes. And maybe that's because we've spent too much time taking our cues from Hollywood and uh, not enough thinking seriously about life and death and right and wrong and good and bad, like people in the past have done. But anyway, I, I knew f uh, from learning about God from the Bible that God's standard is high and glorious and that it was out of my reach. Not because God is some unbending perfectionist, but because someone around here has to have good standards and not let us dumb everything down. God has high standards, good standards, and I knew I did not live up to those standards. And so in God's presence, I felt guilty and dirty and unworthy and excluded. Like the guy with the nasty ink spot on his nice white shirt. Like the leper who had to cry out, unclean, unclean, and, and stay away from God's house and, and stay away from God's people. But then Jesus touched me. Though I was dirty, Jesus' clean, pure hand reached out with God's love and God's reassurance and God's power and touched me. And Jesus said, I am willing. Be clean. And I became clean as white as snow. And if you are like I was, if you, you feel unworthy, if you feel like you don't really belong in God's house quite as much as the other people here must. And so you sit in the corner or you hang around the edges. If that's you, then, then listen to Jesus' heart. Jesus says, I am willing to make you clean. 
Getting clean isn't something I expect you to do all by yourself. No, come to me. Throw yourself down like the leper and ask me to make you clean. I want to reach out and draw you close. Come to me. Feel my embrace because my touch will make you clean. Completely clean. And when you are clean, Jesus says, you belong. Completely. And don't let anyone tell you that you don't. Because I say, you are clean. You know, I wish I'd learned that lesson sooner. Because um, when I was a kid, I grew up with parents who followed Jesus. And they wanted me to follow Jesus too. But they made it clear to me as I got older that this was my decision. And that I couldn't ride on the coattails of their faith into adulthood. I had to have a faith of my own I, if I was going to have a faith at all. And, um, and I wanted to believe. Um, I knew what the Bible says, that, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And that we're all like unclean lepers in the presence of a, a holy, perfect God. And that the wages of our sin is, is, um, is death. Um, that we're, we're unclean because of what we're done. But, but the gift of God is eternal life. And, and I knew that God loved me so much that he'd sent his, his only son, Jesus. That, that um, if I believed in him, I would not perish, but I would have eternal life. And I wanted to live forever with God. I wanted to be clean. I didn't want to face eternal separation from God like, like a leper, which I knew was the alternative. But I also knew that Jesus said, anyone who would follow me must take up their cross and follow me. And anyone who puts their hand to the plow to, to follow me and then looks back at, at what they've left behind and reconsiders isn't worthy to be my disciple. I knew Jesus demanded everything of me. That, that, that to follow Jesus was, was to commit myself completely and unreservedly to him, even to the point that I would give my life for him. And I knew I wasn't ready to do that. I, I wanted to hold on to my life. I wanted to stay in control of it. And there were some bad things I knew I was doing that I wasn't ready to give up. Well, I wish back then that I knew what I know now, which is what the leper discovers in this passage. And that is that I didn't have to clean myself up first before I could come to Jesus. No, I could come to Jesus unclean and unworthy and I could throw myself down and as long as I wanted to be clean, Jesus would have reached out and embraced me and said, I am willing to make you clean. Be clean. And I would have been clean. And, and, and eventually that's what did happen to me. And in today's story, we learn that Jesus did that for that leper. And Jesus is willing to do that for you as well. Now, what does this mean for those of us who already follow Jesus, whom Jesus has cleansed in the past and, and we've been hanging around with him since? Well, it means that we need to be willing to get our hands dirty, too. In fact, we can't continue to follow Jesus and insist on keeping polite company. 
Because Jesus is drawing all kinds of people, all kinds of dirty, untouchable people to himself. And Jesus is going into situations where those kind of people hang out. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to go with him. Can you imagine Jesus with his first disciples and, and they're going to a party where there are tax collectors and there's prostitutes? And uh, one of the disciples says, Jesus, I am not going in there with those kinds of people. You go in, I'll wait outside, and I'll catch up with you later when you come back out. And you can imagine Jesus turning and, and saying to his disciple, what, you're too good for these people that I want to hang out with? Then I guess you're too good for me, too. Paul Stevens, uh, who is a former professor of mine, tells a story about the late Tom Allen, who was a Church of Scotland pastor in Glasgow. And um, Allen and some members of his church, St. George's, there in Glasgow, would spend Saturday evenings reaching out to prostitutes in the downtown of the city. And, and they would bring some of them back to the church basement where they were running a coffee house. And one evening, Tom spent two hours late into the night listening deeply and compassionately to, to the sordid life story of, of one of these women. And about 2 a.m. after they were done, he arranged to have her taken home while he himself went home. And um, just immersing himself in, in her pain and her tragic life as, as he listened and to the twisted and dark and seedy atmosphere that she, listened, or she lived in made him feel dirty all over. And uh, when he went home, he washed his hands and he, he took a shower, but he still felt dirty. And he woke up the next morning and he still felt dirty. Meanwhile, this woman on her way home, the, the, this prostitute, turned to the one who was taking her home and she said, talking to that man made me feel so clean. That's the kind of calling that followers of Jesus have. And if we imitate Jesus, that's the kind of result we can expect. Because that's what a church is. It's not a sterile environment to protect clean folk from getting dirty and infected by others. No, a church is like a troop of, of doctors or nurses who risk their own health to show compassion to those who are sick. I recently read uh, Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity. He's a sociologist of religion. And in his book, he tries to explain, uh, looking back at history, how a ragtag bunch of disciples who'd followed a crucified Messiah 2,000 years ago, how they had grown within 300 years to embody around 50% of the entire Roman Empire, an absolutely staggering development in world history. And he looks at a number of factors. One of them he, he points to is the terrible deadly plagues, perhaps they were smallpox or, or measles, that decimated up to a third of the Roman Empire in the second and the third centuries. And the doctors of that time had no idea what to do uh, in the face of these epidemics. And as the plague struck, doctors and, and city leaders and, and pagan priests and almost anyone else with the means to fled to the countryside to get away from the plagues. And, and so they left the poor and they left the sick and they left the dying to, to suffer and die in their own vomit, their own excrement, their, their dehydration, their malnourishment because they had no one to take care of them. 
and they were too weak to take care of themselves. And, and so many of the sufferers died not because of the plague itself, but they died indirectly because they were too weak to take care of their basic needs. And, and there was no one around who was willing to provide that basic care for them. Except the Christians. This small minority of Christians at the time stayed. And they nursed their own, and they cared for their neighbors at great risk to themselves. And, and many of the Christians died in the process. But they wouldn't flee, and they wouldn't save themselves because they worshipped a Savior who had not left them in their need. And as a result of the basic care and the loving sacrifice they provided for each other and, and for those that they cared for who were around them, far more Christians survived the plague than did others. And plenty whom the Christians had cared for were moved to become Christians as a result. And that's one reason, among others, that early Christianity experienced such phenomenal growth. Without buildings, without large budgets, without catalogs full of resources, but with the heart of their Savior Jesus. A heart willing to reach out and to touch the unclean and to say, the Jesus I follow is willing. The Jesus I follow can make you clean. May the same be true of us. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts what we need to hear as we look at your heart, as we look at your example here in this story. Amen. If you'd like to be prayed for after service, there'll be a few people in the lounge with little blue ribbons and they'd be happy to, um, to pray for you. Also, um, as a Catalyst team, we've been talking um, about how God has often been, been moving in, in our services and in our church and touching us and changing us. Um, and um, that, that there's times when God might be doing something uh, really encouraging in someone's life, and if you don't happen to catch them at coffee and happen to be talking to them about it, you miss it. You don't find out what God's been doing. And so we were asking ourselves... How can we pay better attention as a church and communicate and share with one another about the things God is saying to us as a church, the things God's doing among us? And we thought, well, one thing we could do is we could have a, a short sharing time at the end of the service. Um, and so we thought we'd try that, and we're going to try it this morning, and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to sing a song, which will give us time to respond like we usually do in worship. Um, and then after that, I'm going to lead us in a short sharing time where you may want to share something that God um, is saying to you this morning in the service or, or something you sense maybe he's saying and doing among us. And so we'll just give a chance to kind of respond and, and uh, share together, and then we'll close with another song. So let's worship.